Welcome to Exploring the Mystical Side of Life with your host, Glenda Lang. Hi, this is Linda Lang from ThoughtChange.com. Today on Exploring the Mystical Side of Life, we have a real treat for you. We have environmental activist and author, Jerry Udelson. Welcome, Jerry. Thank you, Linda. Some of you listeners might be wondering why environmental activist would be exploring the mystical side of life, but... Here we are, living on Earth, spiritual beings having a 3D physical experience, and our Earth home is part of caring for our temple and our path, our evolution. Jerry, would you like to talk a little bit about how the spiritual side of life started calling you once you stepped into this role as environmental activist? You know, I started with the first Earth Day in 1970, which in the U.S. was a huge event. 20 million people came to various teach-ins and demonstrations, and at the time, uh, 10% of the U.S. population. So it was huge, and I was a student then of environmental engineering, and this had a very strong emotional impact on me. And in fact, I ended up leaving graduate school going out to become an activist. I ended up teaching environmental studies, but there was something else. Because the minute you start to talk about environment, you have to talk about spirit. They go together. I met a young woman who became my wife, and she had a strong spiritual calling as well. And I like to say we started snacking at the spiritual buffet and kept looking and looking. And finally, one day in 1974, we met somebody, a great being who had come from India, Swami Muktananda. And the minute I sat in a room with him, something resonated. There was a magnetism, some deep longing was awakened. And so I began to follow him and his path. And then the next year I had my first real tree hugging experience. Jerry, you mean you were an environmental activist and you weren't a tree hugger? I was a tree hugger in name only, but it still hadn't resonated. And so one day, a year later, in a meditation session, Swami Muktananda, I just felt this overwhelming sense of love. And as I came out of that meditation, I felt this same consciousness that had been awakened in me, this sparkling, shimmering blue light of consciousness. I began to see that in the forest. And all of the plants had this incredible glow to them and this sparkling energy. And so I, I just felt I had to go and hug a redwood and feel that oneness with the environment, with the earth around me. And so that was the emotional connection between spiritual life and environmental work. And, you know, I began to see that there was a connection. But, you know, old habits die hard. And when you meet a master, when you begin the practice of meditation, you don't just suddenly slough off your skin like a rattlesnake and get a new skin. You have to unpeel it gradually. That's what happened with me is I still had my old self, my intellectual self, my sense of, you know, I'm a special person that I think we all have. 
And a lot of that had to get eliminated over time before I could really open myself up to this work. And so that's why I say that I learned from him that healing the planet and healing yourself go hand in hand. That if you do this and you do it with a conscious way about you, other people will pick up on it and other people will be motivated to assist you in whatever you're doing. And you'll find a deeper connection with both yourself and with the world around you. So what do you think was the trigger for you that opened up that real connection with the energy or the spirit of the land? You know, our Aboriginal people have long known that the land has spirit and the elements are actual energetic, I don't know if I call them beings, but they're energetic elements that you can connect with. So it's something that we've had in our past history in humanity. The particular art of Swami Muktananda was that he could awaken the inner kundalini experience in a seeker. And you didn't have to do service, clean up cow dung for 12 years, as in the old days in India. You know, he would just give it to you. And it was up to you to do something with it. And so that process of giving and receiving is essential in any spiritual path. You have to be open to what's being offered, but then it's up to you. And so it takes time. It takes time. It takes going deep within in meditation. In fact, the year after this particular experience, I spent three months living in his ashram in India, going very deep into myself and feeling this ancient connection with life. And it's through that connection that I began to broaden my horizons and broaden my experience of the natural world. But this is something, it's a process. It's going in, coming out, going in, coming out. For any of the listeners who wanted to deepen their connection to nature or the earth, our natural world, what kind of tips do you have for them? I think the thing that's very popular now is the Japanese practice of forest bathing, just going out and taking a walk in the forest with no particular goal in mind. And here I live close to the ocean. I live two miles from the Pacific Ocean. So walking on the beach alongside the ocean, watching brown pelicans float by, but you begin to see that this is all happening no matter what's going on in your mind or what's going on in your life, this is all happening. This is process continues and you can't stop it. It's part of life. Life is a process, as the Greeks used to say, a continuous flow. And we can choose to participate fully or we can hold ourselves back. That's always the choice is yours. Yeah, and it's not really something we can control the intricacies and how interwoven everything is. And I'm just reading right now The Hidden Life of Trees, this great book by a German forester. And it just talks about how trees are not isolated beings. They're just like people. There's a community that exchanges energy, that exchanges nutrients, and that takes care of each other. Sometimes, you know, our human egos get the best of us and we feel like the masters of this planet sometimes. And yet even this little pause that we're going through now, just the quietening 
of humanity for a few weeks has made such an incredible benefit for the earth. It's pretty clear that we've entered a, a new era. This is brand new. This is something that's very hard for us to comprehend and will take, I think, several hundred years culturally to fully grasp what it means to be responsible for what's happening on the earth. After all, since I was born, 80% of the excess carbon has been added to the atmosphere. Since I was born. Astounding. And in the last 30 years, since we have known about global warming through the warnings of scientists, we've added 50% of the excess carbon in the atmosphere. So we are responsible for not only what's happening to us because of this, but what is happening to six million other species. And so at some point, there has to be an awakening of the heart of humanity to take a larger sense of context and relationship and responsibility for what's happening to the other species, even if it's just leaving them alone. We have so few places left on the earth that have been left alone. Do you think we will actually step up and become the caretakers? You know, when you look at it as a function of culture and you realize cultures change very slowly. I mean, it was a hundred years ago in the US that women were given the right to vote. And it took almost a hundred years for a woman to run for president. And 50 years ago, the women's movement started and now we're sort of at the stage where, yeah, 50% of architects graduating are women and not quite as many engineers, but that's culture. So that takes multiple generations. So I think the real task for people like you and me and your listeners is to be a voice for that future culture, to be a voice for that sensibility, and to be a voice for kindness in dealing with the world around us. Let's just chat a little bit about how meditation and mindfulness can really deepen that connection. I think when you take the time to go inside, when you take the time to just watch your thoughts, watch your mind at work, you begin to experience, maybe I'm not so special after all. Maybe I'm just a conscious being that's part of a large ocean of consciousness that's all around. I read a line from Ram Dass recently. He said, everybody I see is just God in drag. And I have that experience. I'll go to the grocery store and I'll see, well, the other people, I've just been invited to a costume party. And the other people are costumed as different aspects of my inner state. And so the trick I think now is to take that awareness and take it out into the natural world take it out into the work we do as environmentalists. But in a way, it's, everyone should be an environmentalist. I mean, right now, so many people are reconnecting with their gardens. And we have time now. This is a unique period. And as you said earlier, we see all of these major cities in the world without air pollution. And in fact, most people have calculated that the reduction in air pollution will save more lives then we'll be destroyed by the virus. So that's an interesting thing to think about, which is, oh, 
if we could do that now, why can't we do it all the time? And the answer is, well, we can if we decide to. Exactly, if we decide to. One of the things that I see happening is people are starting to reconnect with themselves, certainly, about what resonates with them and their humanity. They're smiling at people, even though they're six feet away, they smile when they walk past them or they say hello. There's some kind of invisible connection that's kind of opening people up to the remembrance that we're all human and we're all here on this journey together. I think that's true. And I think partly it's just because people have more time. All of a sudden, we're thrown back on our own resources. And this is really what it's like when you have to leave this world. You leave by yourself. My teacher says, all of this inner work is just a preparation for the real work, which is the final transition back into spirit. So we're finding this sense of shared humanity, of shared pathways, of personal bravery among all of the caregivers and first responders. There's a lot of emotional humanity that's being opened up. This is a chance to really reflect on how much we depend on each other, how much we really are engaged with each other, and how much we can offer each other in times of difficulty, but also in times of ease. You walk into a store, you have a choice about how to greet somebody, how to interact with somebody. And I think the essence of meditation and mindfulness is to realize that at all times you have a choice about what you're thinking, about your inner state, about what you're bringing to other people. There is a sense that oh, I have to clean up my act. And when we project all of our discordance out onto the world and to the people that we meet, we're actually the common denominator. People, again, that we meet, they have a choice about how to react to us. And I think at this point, where you get strength in a crisis is from love, position of love, a position of kindness. And where you get weakness is from a position of fear. And I think it's incumbent on all of us who are aware, who are on awareness paths, to realize that we have to bring our A game, so to speak, not out just out into the world, but for ourselves. Because it'll show on your face. You can't fake it. Most human beings can pick up your inner state once they start practicing. They pick up your inner state in less than eight seconds. The essence is we are who we think we are. And if you want to change the world, change your thoughts. I point out in my new book, there's a letter to a young climate striker as in the epilogue to the book. And I, I was moved to write that because I think, okay, you've been at this for so long. What would you say to a 16-year-old or 17-year-old that they could possibly relate to? And I think the essence of what I had to say is, you have to work on yourself while you're doing this work. And you have to strengthen yourself because it's going to go on the rest of your life. And there's just no way around that. So take time for yourself. Be kind to yourself. And I talked about the most effective political movements of the 20th century were based on love. 
Gandhi in India, defeated the most powerful empire in the world through the strength of his love and resolve. Nelson Mandela in South Africa, Martin Luther King Jr., a reverend in America, were all based around love and understanding our shared humanity. There's one other thing that I would like to just leave the listeners with. Some people live in apartment buildings or because they're in isolation right now, they feel they're not able to connect with the natural world. But it's all around us. You just have to go up and look at the sky, look at, you know, the tree in the neighbor's backyard or sun gazing at the moment of sunrise and sunset is a way to really deeply connect. Yeah, you know, right now I like to go out at night and watch the moon and Venus separating in the evening sky. Every day the moon moves. And I think, as you said, it's like, yeah, the sky is always there. And so there's always these things that are around you. And of course, if you live in the middle of cities and you always have a park nearby, you always have a plaza where you can look at the sky. There's always something, a stream flowing by. And even if it's, you have to stay in, inside, have a few plants. The beauty of an orchid that's on your windowsill, it's just gorgeous. You'll go right in to that essence if you just pause and take that time to just really be present with it. You know, in this book I'm reading on the hidden life of trees, talks about how trees have a very different time scale than people. In a forest, uh, certainly a hardwood forest, trees have lifespans of hundreds of years. And if this year doesn't work out for laying seed, the next year will. And they're not worried about the time. So just by reconnecting with nature, you are reconnecting with different time scales. And that alone broadens your understanding of your life, the life you're going to live. And, you know, when you reach a certain age, you begin to say, oh, this is the time scale of life. So the message of how to live can be found in many places and certainly in nature. Well, thank you for all of the effort you have put in. Jerry, why don't you share your contact information with us and again, your book, please. Thank you for asking. This is the memoir has a lot of the things in it that I talked about today. It's called The Godfather of Green. So you can Google that on your favorite book site, book purchasing site. And it's jerryudelson.net, J-E-R-R-Y-Y-U-D-E-L-S-O-N.net. There's more about the book and ways to contact me and so forth. And I post my blogs there. I'd be very happy to hear from people. But the message in the book is, change yourself before you try to change the world. And it shows how I tried to follow that message over many decades and I'll share a lot of mystical experiences as well in there through my gurus. Um, so there's plenty of interesting material. So thank you for having me, Linda. It's been oh, delightful. You're, you're very welcome, Jerry. I love that you are echoing Gandhi's wisdom of be the change that you want to see. 
I think it's wonderful. So thank you for joining us. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of Exploring the Mystical Side of Life. You'll find us on YouTube, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. You can come and visit me at thoughtchange.com. Pick up a copy of Learning to Listen. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next time. Bye for now.